We are very happy to be working once again with Kentucky Downs to help with their King of the Turf Handicapping Contest series. The series will consist of three one-day contests that will all offer individual prizes. At the end of the three contest series, the overall winner will be crowned King of the Turf, National Turf Handicapping Champion, and will receive a BCBC seat plus an AEW-style championship belt. You must play in all three contests in order to be eligible for the big prize. All contests are online only, and there's feeders going on right now on Horse Tourneys. Go to horsetourneys.com to check those out and win your seats, or you can go ahead and pay. To download the official contest brochure and rules, go to www.inthemoneypodcast.com slash turfking. And if you want to pre-register or have any other questions, you can email our friend Brian Skirka, bskirka at monmouthpark.com. That's B-S-K-I-R-K-A at monmouthpark.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Travers Day, Saturday, August 26th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the little house on the east side. Once again, we have a good record with these Travers shows, and we're hoping to keep that rocking and rolling. Our guests today, we start with the man who's going to be doing double duty on the show. We'll have him later to talk about Mammoth. You read his analysis of Naira every day at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, my friend. Excited for another Travers Day. Wish I was there, but uh, didn't make the trip this year. I think that'll change in 2024. That would be good. We got to get you. Uh, got to get you back in the mix. Our other uh, man on this show comes to us from across town in Saratoga. He's got his uh, cool little background there. Blends in so nicely with the logo in the corner. If you're watching on YouTube, hey, if you're watching on YouTube, let us know who you think is going to win this year's Travers. We'll get there in a minute, but pop that in the comments. We'd appreciate hearing from you. That's always fun. The man I'm speaking of, of course, is Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? What's going on? I'm a little disappointed. This is the first time I've heard that the boss is not coming. I thought the boss was coming to Saratoga. I was told that a number of times, and now it seems <laughs> it's not true. These things happen, man. It's a, it's a slippery landscape. And uh, Nick, you know, what's your excuse? You know, trying to strike a work-life balance is a little difficult at times, especially when it's all <laughs> tilted on work. But, uh, yeah, no trip for me, but uh, I'll be I'll be around at the Breeders' Cup for sure. He'll be here in spirit, J.K. He'll be here in spirit, so we'll get he's a all, question. He's, all, he's always always here in spirit. The uh, But it is true, the work-life balance thing. If you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a sympathetic ear, you couldn't find uh, two two better people, Nick, than, uh, than, than the stuff that we end up doing around here. So – there's the two-day pick six. Stephen Christ and I covered that one in an audio pod that is already up in your feed. But then there's also the traditional pick six, except it's not entirely traditional in that it is on. It starts on the seventh race, so it's including five stakes, five grade ones, and then this uh, salty little allowance race. But things kick off. With race number seven, 307 Eastern, the schedule post time, it's the Fergo, a race on paper that looks very much like a match between Gunite and Elite Power. JK, how do you separate them? Um, I think it's pretty tough, honestly. I mean, I know Elite Power's on an unbelievable win streak, and, and the way that he won last time when he looked like he was beat, I, I understand people's interest, but, but Gunite was right there. And 
Gunite has another thing in his favor, I think, which is he's a little bit more forward. So I think he can kind of dictate his own trip. I guess the biggest issue I have is that last race uh, in the Vanderbilt, Gunite tried, had to kind of – Tyler had to kind of use him to keep some position and to keep him involved around the half-mile pole. And I think that was the difference of the race. Now, look, I think it was a good move by Tyler, but he had to do it for some reason. Gunite was kind of coming backwards. I think if he could avoid that – that kind of moonwalk in the middle of the race thing, he can absolutely beat elite power. Unfortunately, I don't trust him enough to just single him, but I got to use both of those. I'm going to use the two and the three. Two and the three equally, do you think? Or is this the kind of thing where you might bet a little more elite power to not lose equity because he'll surely be shorter of the two? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that betting them equally is my opinion, right? I think Gunite is the value of the race. So I'm going to use him equally because I shouldn't use him equally, if that makes sense. No, it does. I get it. I totally get it. Nick, how about you? How do you see this one? Yeah, I don't have a tremendously different opinion. I, I think the key to this race from a tactical standpoint is that the obligation on Tyler Gaffleyone's part is that he's going to have to make elite power work harder early. And the, the problem with the situation, and it was a little bit like the, the race with gerrymander and nostalgic the other day, you know, gerrymander had a very good trip. Um, she should have been on the lead. She wasn't. The problem was that at the quarter pole, there was basically a half a length of separation. And when a horse that closes the way horses like Nostalgic and Elite Powers and Elite, obviously, so he's a lot better. But when they close that way, if the margin is small, they're going to wear you down. You, you don't have enough cushion built to keep them from getting you. And so to me, Gnight needs to have a multi-length cushion. And the best way to maintain that advantage is going to be for him to go faster early. And I'm talking from a time from U.S. perspective. I mean, he needs this pace to be in the 120s early in terms of pace figure because that's going to dull Elite Power's run a little bit. Elite Power also has that quick, compact burst that works so effectively at six furlongs. I don't think he'd have a problem at, at seven furlongs or beyond. He's obviously already a great stake winner at seven eighths, but I think he's most effective at six furlongs. I'm going to use both equally, but I, I'm going to use both. I am going to put a little more on Gnight, though, and I'm going to try and make that an early opinion that might have a little bit of separator potential for at least the people that maybe are getting a little more bullish on the lead power. Let's move to this allowance race. It's a turf sprint. We're going five and a half. We've got a big full field. Boy, this was a head scratcher for me. I'm hoping one of you can lend some clarity. Nick Tamara, we'll keep it with you. I mean, I think one of the ways that you can create value in the sequence, and let's be honest, I mean, we've got five races to go, but there are going to be a lot of favorites that win in this sequence, is going to be to try and beat the 12 Southern horse. I don't, I don't see him being a horse that I want to take uh, very seriously. The horse was barely getting there at six and a half furlongs for a guy like Phil D'Amato. I don't trust him at five and a half for David Jacobson. So I get David Jacobson wrong every time as I whined about on Twitter yesterday, but um I don't, I'm not using this horse. I don't see any point in using him. He'll have to work out a trip from the outside. He'll win without my money on him. Also because I found interesting horses in here. If you draw a line through the two stakes races of the 10 extendo, which both happen to be races where he did, was not treated with Lasix, look at what you're left with. That horse looks very interesting when you do that. Having the outside speed spot, I think, is advantageous as well. He's in light with Jamie Torres. I think he's quick enough to get the lead early. And the horse that I really like is the five Harry time for Safi Joseph. 
he drew the rail in the Mahoney and uh, Luis Saez, who's a gr- an aggressive rider, used those tactics to keep him close early. And I mean, Luis was pumping away on this horse coming out of the gate. He got involved in a very strong opening quarter. He capitulated very easily after that. But this is another horse who'll get back to being treated with Lasix. Sappy's numbers, Lasix versus non-Lasix, are they're night and day. I think this horse is going to run a lot better. And I think he gets that stalking trip with Dylan that really could make him a major player. All right. Some horses at prices for sure. Definitely saw that case for Extendo. That was one that I was going to mention. If neither of you did sneaky chance to be the best speed Lasix back on in a barn that does well in turf sprints. Generally speaking, JK, how about you? Are you seeing this case for Extendo? Who else do you like in here? Yeah, no, I, I thought Extendo made a lot of sense. The Ford Talking Pharaoh, another one who who has some some speed and speed in turf sprints is always valuable. Uh, you get the red hot Linda Rice, you get a little American Pharaoh, you get a little midshipman mare, midshipman mare. Uh, to me, there's an opportunity this horse could maybe improve on the grass. Did run well, did run on the grass prior, didn't run well at all, got hooked in a speed duel. And um, I just think this horse is better now, right? Was running like 60 buyers when they ran that bad turf race. Now running like high 80 buyers, maybe that can translate. So I'll use the four talking Pharaoh. Uh, I like the 10 extendo. Uh, the 12 Southern horse, I will say this. The one thing I'll say is that, is that we've learned that the California turf sprinters might do that game better than the East Coast turf sprinters. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But I guess if, the, if, it, if it comes up with some give in the ground, I'm not sure how top, uh, a Southern horse will appreciate that. But the other thing to keep an eye on is if the 13 draws in. If the 13 draws in, I actually think this horse will be favored. Um, so I want to see if there's any scratches in here. In a big full field, I guess it's extremely likely that one of the 12 will scratch. If the 13 Super Quest gets in, I think Super Quest could be tough. All right. Uh, so numbers to name check for you, JK. 4, 12, 13. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use the 10 as well. Um, and and uh, and look, I've got a pure respect for Nick. In a race where I'm spreading, spreading I'll use Harry Time getting back on laces. Yeah, I was just super spready. I, I gave my picks for the sequence in the show with Steve Chris, but I'll just say I'm going to spread like crazy. I had my top line 10, 1, 6, and my back line of 4, 5, 12, 13 for those four at home. Let's proceed to the next race in the sequence. We get back a grade one action, which is all we'll have the rest of the way. Jerkins, race we talk about all the time. Grade one, seven furlongs. We're always picking horses from this as early as February, it seems. Who's it going to be this year, JK? You know, this is a situation where um, uh, like I, as a speed figure player, I'm supposed to single New York Thunder off of that performance. But this kind of reminds me a little bit of Chance a lot, where, um, and no offense to, to, to the connections, I'm not saying it like that. I just, it, it just feels like I, I don't necessarily trust it, even though it was fast. And I think that the, the horse is like verifying, cutting back finally for Bragg, who's been very impressive, who, who beat Saudi Crown, who's obviously a really good horse, and Arabian Lion, who it's Baffert in a seven furlong grade one race. What else do you need to know? I think it's more simple than just trusting uh, Fort Bragg. And I don't know what the hell they did with Drew's goal. That was stupid to me. And so I- I'm just going to let that horse beat me. Um, I'm going to spread in here a little bit. I'm going to try to catch one of these other horses beating New York Thunder, who I think they'll bet. I'm going to use three, four, five, six, and-, and try to and try to catch something here because I'm going to get uh, pretty skinny uh, the rest of the way. Okay, three, four, five, six, pretty much equally. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think that the Arabian Lion's going to be bet. Um, Fort Bragg will take a little bit of money just because of the Baffert thing. 
and, and I think verifying is probably the most interesting. So I have no problem having verifying at, uh, in a, you know, at, at a little bit of a equal number to the other ones. I was with you on verifying. This is a horse I think we talked about for this race after the Kentucky Derby, where he set the pace, seemed like one that might benefit from a cutback like this and could have an absolutely excellent situation. Nick, how do you see it? Are you buying the case on verifying? Where were your dollars going here? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a slave to the cutbacks. I love love the cutbacks. Um, so I have no, I have no issue with verifying. I wonder if this might just be a little bit too tough in addition of this race for a horse like him, um, because you generally don't get this race with horses with with some with multiple hundred and five plus buyer speed figures. Yes. Uh, but you have three horses coming in off one oh sixes or better. That's incredible. I mean, this is almost like life is good. Jackie's warrior caliber, but really you have three. And Drew's Gold is a horse who's pretty fast in his own right, you know, having earned a 106, three starts back into Woody Stevens before they've gone haywire and decided to run him every two weeks. Um, I think the key to the race, obviously, is how much pressure he and one in Vermillion can potentially put on New York Thunder. New York Thunder's early pace figures are not robust by any means. I mean, he is not some, you know, he, he doesn't have the, the early speed that a horse like Chancelot does, but he finished up like a horse uh, that's definitely Breeders' Cup sprint caliber. We'll see if he performs at the same level. I mean, it was just, it was the classic out of nowhere, huge performance. He got a negative three thoroughgraph. Um, it's the kind of race that you can almost bank on not being duplicated. And the problem is these two Bob Baffert horses look like they're just as good, if not better, even if he runs that race again. So I, I'm going the in Bob, I trust route and I'm taking Fort Bragg and, and Arabian lion. And, um, and I think one of those two is going to win. Uh, I just, I think they complement each other well running style-wise. I love the way Arabian Lion rated very comfortably in the Woody Stevens. And I was concerned about whether he'd have the ability to sit and pass horses. And, and he just looked like he was in control of that race the entire way. And that's coming from somebody who bet Drew's Golden Gilmore. So um, I, it was one of those where I thought I had a chance and then realized I didn't very quickly. So I think Arabian Lion will ultimately win. But again, I'm going to use him in Fort Bragg. Four and six to the hoop for Nick, relying on those Baffert uh, team tactics, perhaps to give a little bit of extra edge in this spot where maybe you end up with the best of speed and the best closer. Let's talk race 10. It's the ballerina. It's another one that looks like a match on paper between Echo Zulu and Goodnight Olive, though I could make you a wise guy case for somebody to maybe split those two in the exacta. How do you approach this one in a bet like the pick six, Nick? Well, I smoked out Echo Zulu, so, you know, I, I got to tell you, I think she's got a big shot in here. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny. Echo Zulu is the kind of horse that I think that those of us that, that use speed figures, which, I mean, obviously anybody who's trying to do this seriously is using some form of speed figure. I think she's the kind of horse that shows you that speed itself is such an incredible weapon. I know Jonathan's been saying this for years, and you're absolutely right. But, you know, the fact that last time they really let her kind of open the throttle early, look at what happened. I mean, she just, she took Frank's Rockette, who even at the age of, of seven or whatever she is now, is still a, a perfectly competent racehorse and arguably had been better so far in 2023 than she'd been at any point in her career. And she just completely subjugated her. I mean, she she left her behind at the, at the 316th pole like she was tied to it. It was an incredible performance. I love Florent as a fit for Echo Zulu because, to me, he's at his absolute best on the front end. 
I think she's going to win this race as comfortably as she won the last race. And, and that's coming from somebody who wanted to try and find an alternative. But I think the play for me is a cold 6-8 exacta um, trying to beat Goodnight Olive. My problem with Goodnight Olive is that they seem to have gotten overly conservative with her running style-wise. And there isn't a chance in hell she's going to beat Echo Zulu from fifth or sixth. She's going to give up way too much ground to run her down. And I went back and watched the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint last year, and she was always into the race. You know, she was always forward. She was always aggressive. She was in the mix the entire way. And and last time, I mean, she broke from the rail. She broke on top, and Irad was in, like, a race with himself to see how fast he could drag her back to last. And I hope that they don't try those tactics again because she'll have no chance. I agree. Different tactics would need to be in order. Interesting, that idea of Carmel Swirl coming running to get the second spot in the exacta. I can see that. What about you, Jonathan? Is this all about Echo Zulu or are you going to be using some other numbers as well? Yeah, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to single a Echo Zulu um, just because, you know, speed and, and, and she's fast and, and there's a lot of things about her. I, I think we, I honestly don't even think we've seen the best of her even based on what she did last time. Um, I'm going to use Goodnight Olive as a solo B, though. And because I, her – look, Goodnight Olive has races that in the past that could be competitive with Echo Zulu if she maybe regresses just a taste or she gets hooked or something crazy. The thing about Goodnight Olive is in her three races this year, I think her first race back in the Madison, she kind of had an excuse because, you know, it, it was a – from a speed figure standpoint, I don't think she was fully cranked up for that. I think she was ready to run but not fully cranked. Obviously, what happened at Churchill doesn't really necessarily count from a speed figure standpoint. And then even the Bed of Roses was run, like, oddly. She is regressing in terms of numbers, but I'm still not convinced that she's kind of had everything fall her way to see if she can run another big number. So I'll use her as a B-horse defensively just because I have so many other sharp – not sharp. That's not the right answer. I have so many skinny opinions in this sequence that I don't want – it's not going to cost me much more to have that little bit of protection – with Goodnight Olive, because I'm not spreading really anywhere else. we got two races left, boys, and about four and a half minutes in which to do them. We go next to the Sword Dancer, Field of Seven. JK, who do you like? Stone Age to the rack. Easy work, ice-cold single, not using any of these other horses in here. Um, I actually watched Stone Age Breeze the other day. It was impressive. Chad has been absolutely laser-focused on getting this horse back to his his uh, previous form, and I think we'll see it. Uh, and the horse can be forward, too, tactical as well, so you don't have to worry about a bad trip. Yeah, it's interesting when you see on time form Stone Age projected so near that uh, front of the, of the diagram with having a triple-digit late pace rating. I think he has to be used on every ticket. I'll just very quickly, if only for, for, for to give you my opinion, I would not totally rule out Bolshoi Ballet in here, used as a pacemaker last time in the King George. He's not as bad as the last couple of races that he ran in North America. I'm going to have some threes as well as sevens. Nick, how about you? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Bolshoi Ballet. Um, I'm, look, I think Sonny is a horse to beat by far. Um, one, of the, one of the angles on Bolshoi Ballet is that he wants fast ground. Right. So that's part of the reason why he's over here. He got kind of bottomless ground at, at Ascot last time and really was never going to be effective against that caliber of horse anyway. So um, I, I think he's a little dangerous as maybe an alternative to Stone Age. Uh, you know, Stone Age is funny and you bring up the pace projector in, in that he's actually been involved in three fast paced races, which doesn't happen all that often. And he can be forward as well. Um, yeah, it, it's just a matter of I can't find anybody else I could warm up to. I, I can't. 
I can't get behind another channel maker wire job. Uh, Pioneering Spirit's a joke. So's Daunt. And Verstappen did no running last time. And Soldier Rising got into trouble around the turn when Rebels Romance clipped heels. But he did no running down the stretch. And, and Jose is a guy that will wrap up on horses that are beaten. He continued to ride him, and he didn't gain any ground. You can get the replay of that race. It's not available on RTN and through your ADWs. But if you go back to watch the Saratoga Live show on YouTube, you can see it, that when Rebels Romance goes down, he does get checked and, and, and gets bumped. But he just kind of spun his wheels the rest of the way. He was a little too far inside in the, belt, in the uh, Manhattan for me also. Nick, we'll let you kick off the Travers because I know you have a time pressure and then you can just uh, drop if you need to get out here cold at uh, that appointed time. If you can stick around all the better, but I don't want to keep you past what I told you I was. Who do you like in this loaded Travers? It's it's amazing. We've got, you know, the three triple crown winners, the two-year-old champ, but who is going to win on Saturday? So, you know, I kind of became an Archangelo guy as, uh, after he won the Peter Pan. I liked him in the Peter Pan, and I'm going to stay there. Uh, I don't mind the, the Travers, the Belmont to Travers layoff. Um, he's a horse who's trained well his entire career. He apparently continues to. And I think he's going to get a great trip just off the pace. I love how much more speed he's shown in his last couple of starts. I do think there's a chance that they go a little quicker than anything he's ever seen before. And that doesn't give me a big amount of concern because the pace in the Belmont, all things considered, was pretty strong and he stayed within range the entire way. That was also a racetrack where you generally wanted to be a little more towards the outside. And he was on the rail pretty much the entire way. I thought he ran a lot better, uh, especially going back and watching it, than I thought first time around. Um, if David, and David Aragon is usually as sharp as they come when it comes to the morning line, I guess he's going to be a very clear second choice. And, um, and if so, then, you know, I, I wish for a little bit better price, but I could actually see Forte going down off the seven to five as well, given his popularity. But it's, uh, it's Archangelo for me. I don't have a big read against Forte. I'm not, you know, throwing him out or anything. He could certainly win. Um, I just prefer Archangelo. Those will be your numbers for the pick six, though, two, one. You're not fooling around with Mage or National Treasure or any of these others. I would on, honestly, if I get a live to Archangelo, I'm fine with it. I'm not going to use anybody else. The way this sequence shapes up, I'd rather spend money on backups like Bolshoi Ballet or using him as another A. Um, I, yeah, if I get a live to Archangelo, I'm fine with that. All right, Nick, we can let you go. JK, you and I will wrap I'll stick this. around to hear the. I'll hear, yeah, I'll stick around to hear the rest do of it. No reason well, the to. one, the one that I think is interesting from a wise guy perspective, maybe to have on some pick six tickets. Well, I think I actually picked, I did actually pick in the race. I think there's a, I think there's a squint if you see it case on disarm. And I think disarm could be double digit odds in here. Are you buying that at all, Nick? You know, I wanted to like this horse and I went back and watched the Jim Dandy twice and he was coming off a nice win on the slop. I didn't think he ran a step last time. I know he was a little inside, but, you know, Saudi crown was never that far off the rail until mid stretch or so. Um, I, I see, I thought my, my squint to make a case for horses would, would, I'd actually make more of a case for Tappet Trice. I think Tappet Trice needed a new rider. Uh, of course, best wishes to Luis Saez as he tries to get back. Uh, Luis Saez is not a good fit for Tappet Trice. Luis Saez is not a deep closing distance dirt rider. Um, and so, and, and generally the blinkers on has not been a good angle for Todd. It obviously worked with Forte. That was my problem. This is a horse who's probably needed the blinkers all along though. He's always kind of running spots. He's not been able to put himself into good forward positions. I think he's going to run better, even though Forte outworked him when he was outfitted with his blinkers, but he's my kind of, if you can make a, a case, um, horse. 
Gotcha. Yeah, for me, the the only you know disarm my thoughts would be little inside, little against the flow, and maybe just this target in mind and and Asmussen we trust. I don't love the horse or anything, but I'm just saying yeah. at ten to one, he's one I would want on my tickets along with the obvious ones. J.K., how about you? How are you going to approach this? Are you going to try to get skinny here, or are you going to use all these logicals? Can you see a fuzzy? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, look, I'm going to use uh, two A horses. Um, one of them pressed up. That'll be Forte. I just look, Forte's shown his class as a two-year-old, shown his ability as a two-year-old, shown his class as a three-year-old, overcoming certain trips that he looked like he was in trouble and still won. Mage came back and won the Derby to kind of break those form, the form in the Florida Derby and in in Florida, despite running fast speed figures. And then now he's finally run, and he showed how classy he was too in the Belmont by running that well off of that, whatever it was, 70-day layoff. And then he shows back up in the Jim Dandy with blinkers and runs a fast number finally. Now I can fully, 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 fully trust this horse, and I do. I think he'll run well. I'm going to use Archangelo as an A horse as well, and then I'm actually going to use a few horses as B horses in here because, like I said, a lot of my other opinions throughout the sequence are very skinny. I'm going to use Tapit Trice. Um, I agree the blinkers thing is not a good move for Todd, but, man, it sure does feel like it's going to help this horse. Um, uh, Mage, just because, I don't know. I mean, maybe the horse was a little short in the half school, and, I still think he got a huge setup in the Derby, but he's still pretty damn good. I'm not going to let him beat me if I hit my three other singles in a sequence uh, for an $18 pick six. You know what I'm saying? And then Disarm, I'll use as well just because he ran he ran well in the Derby, and that was his last time running a mile and a quarter. I agree with Nick. He did zero running last time, but I kind of trust Steve Asmussen in these spots to kind of jump up. And I don't see Disarm – beating Forte on the square or beating Archangelo on the square. I see Disarm winning if, like, those two don't run and he just comes – he wins by six. Kind of like the horse that Nick liked in the Whitney, like White of Barrio, like winning, like, for fun, not, like, beating someone – like, not beating Cody's wish in a, 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 you know, in a stretch duel. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I see Disarm winning if he wins. Yeah, I, I hear where you're going with that. And and you mentioned about the blinkers. Also a very bad stat for Asmussen in great in stakes. So I mean there's not small sample though, 0 for twelve. And in generally he's just not great adding blinkers. But I'm just I that's an angle I use to talk myself off two to one shots, not twelve to one shots, which is why if you like Tap Trice or Disarm, I'd have no problem using them stat or no stat. I, I think it's a simple equation that you can make is that the winningest trainer in the history of the sport doesn't need eight starts to determine that a horse might need blinker. It's something he likely would have figured out earlier. And you can say the same thing for a Hall of Famer and Todd Fletcher. It's not going to take eight starts with Tappet Trice for him to finally say, you know what, maybe this horse needs blinkers. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes sense. You know what I was going to say real quick, and, 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 I, and I wanted to, to get your opinion on it before we end it. And speaking of blinkers, because they're coming off, We've spent time talking about virtually every horse in this race, except for Scotland and National Treasure. What exactly is National Treasure doing here? I mean, if, if he, right? I mean, isn't there a little bit of, I like, mean, I Bob, will say Bob this. his horses as well as anybody. Yeah, well, the horse is a Preakness winner. This operation is, is made to make stallions. And, uh, you know, hitting the board in this race, I think, is a good resume for him. Running second, a good second. I, look, I will say this, though. You talk about the blinkers off. I looked at this yesterday. You guys know that I'm kind of allergic to, to trainer stats now, but sometimes you have to use them on TV. Um, Baffert, dirt route, three-year-olds, blinker switched to off, 10 for 24, 42%. Interesting. 
Yeah, historically, he's had huge numbers taking blinkers off for years. And putting on, I think, I, I and actually, doing it in grade ones. For yeah, whatever I actually reason. think this horse. Yeah. I think this horse is dangerous. I, I'm I'm a little concerned about about Bob getting the last laugh on all of this because the other thing is that you know they're going to be much more committed to going to the lead. And, and who exactly is keeping him company early? I don't think Scotland is going to get used hard to stay close. So I, I don't, I've never thought much of this horse, but I do think there's at least a chance that he could get a little brave if he sees some open space on the front end. I could see it. I was sort of relying in my design of the race on Scotland to keep him honest, but we see this so much. We saw it in the Kings plate last weekend when they go a mile and a quarter for the first time, a lot of times they ride them very conservatively and you see Spitestown on the bottom half of that Scotland pedigree. And they, that could be in junior's mind. Like I don't want to show too much speed because I got to get home going this mile and a quarter that could leave national treasure out there. Potentially. I'd like to think disarm will be close. I'm just not that impressed with national treasure, like as a beast, but I definitely see the scenario where he gets loose and Bob Baffert gives the one up a four down to uh, certain friends of his. I've seen that before. I've seen that movie before. He ends up with the two grade ones and, you know, I mean, it's not nuts. Um, I don't think I will include, but it's one of those, you know, you sometimes play that game. What's the most likely scenario where I get beat? That's a pretty likely one. Did you, you mentioned Scotland too, Nick, did you have any use for him in this spot? No, I don't think he's good enough when push comes to shove. I know Il Miracolo came back and won the Smarty Jones the other day, but uh, that was just a very, very, uh, soft situation for him last time and and i thought that was kind of his time to shine i still think this horse really makes his money ultimately as a one run one turn kind of horse but um you know he could have more influence on the race than a common 10 or 12 to one shot because really how much pressure he puts on national treasure will ultimately uh lead to how the race ends up unfolding I hope it's a lot. I hope he's. I, I hope we get some pace here. It's a truly run race, and we get to see a real relevant data point to who the best three-year-old is. It's as exciting a Travers as I can remember, at least back to the Pharaoh one. Um, I'm really pumped for it. JK, any closing thoughts before we close this segment of the show on Travers or anything else on this uh, Travers Saturday? No, I mean, it's, it's Travers weekend. It's, we always look forward to it. It's a heck of – look, it's, it's one of those situations where they're not the fullest field. Like, you, tell me another tell me another horse you want to see sprinting going seven furlongs to three-year-old. Right. You know? What other what, – what Philly and Mayor are we missing from the from the, from the the ballerina? You know what I mean? The, the, those are the two you want to see. It, 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 you know, I'd much prefer a six-horse field with two good ones than a 12-horse field where there's a bunch of, you know, junk getting in the way. I'm very interested to see how it plays out. It definitely could be billed like a, like a, like a, it's like a prize fighting card. You know, <laughs> you could, you could see the posters you could make to promote each of these races. I understand you're going to uh, fish tonight, Jonathan. That's very cool. Let me know if you want to complete your transition to being a middle-aged white guy. I've got a Wilco record I could lend you. I don't know what either one of those are. Okay, I just, I just look. She, she goes, she goes to the racetrack all the time. At least, they, at least I can do is go to this concert. But it's at least like be. Bob Edwards, is, I'm going with Bob. It'll be fun. Bob Edwards is going. All right, yeah. Nick, JK, appreciate you. If you're watching on YouTube, give us your Travers winner in the comments. Rate, review, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. And if you are listening, we will be back right after this. 
Horse Player Happy Hour has been going strong. There's still a chance to participate. Remember, one of the great things about this, you only need to play one week to potentially participate in the $10,000 added as part of our prize pool. Heck, if you start now and go on a heater, you might still even be able to win the tour. Nobody's getting away that crazy. $20 to play, and it's a chance to turn 20 into 10000 in the form of a Breeders' Cup betting challenge. See, you play on horseplayers.com, and we do a live stream every Thursday from 4 to 5. We preview weekend races. We look back, mostly focused on the Breeders' Cup win and your in races, but really we just talk about whatever we want. Stay tuned for more info and sign up to play at horseplayers.com. Next up on the show, Nick Tamaro is back with us to talk about the racing down at the Jersey Shore as the summer continues on and Travers Day, I'm sure a big day down there. I've never done Travers Day at Monmouth, but surely uh, as so often the case, people will be paying attention to the simulcast feeds. Of course, there's the local product to wager on too. In this segment, we're going to focus on the late pick five and to do that with me, bringing a man who looks at Monmouth a whole lot. As much as he looks at New York, I'd venture to say he's Nick Tamaro from InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Nick, how are things going? Going great, Pete. Looking forward to a big weekend, no doubt about it. And, you know, in addition to everything else going on, Monmouth has a an $800 buy-in contest on ExpressBet that will qualify people for the BCBC and the NHC. You can bet on both uh, Saratoga and Monmouth. So if you're out there thinking about delving into the contest world, that's a good, good uh, opportunity to do it. Do you know if you can play live at Monmouth or is this, a, is this an online? You can. It's an on-track and uh, online. Reach out to Brian Skirka to get all the details about that. We've been pumping it on social media as well. Brian, one of the best when it comes to contests. He's actually also going to be involved. You've probably heard the ad already at this point in the show with uh, helping out with the the series of contests at Kentucky Downs coming up. You're going to want to check those out as well. I was just talking to Nick about how I'll be on hand for opening day at Kentucky Downs. This is a funny year. I, you know, there was a time where you couldn't get me out of Saratoga during the meet. This I actually will have ended up visiting Del Mar, Woodbine, and Kentucky Downs during the meet. I, I didn't get to Monmouth during the meet, but I, I, if I could have only figured out how to be in two places at once, I would have done that as well. But let's look into these races, starting with race number six. Nick, $7,500 claimers to kick off this late pick five. Where is your money going? Yeah, you know, this is an interesting race, Pete, because I, I wonder, Brad Thomas, when he makes the morning line at Monmouth, puts so much into whoever Paco Lopez is riding because the public does. And yeah, yeah. and so he's he's made the three, the bearish one, the uh, the five to two morning line favorite. This horse is first off a claim by Michael Simone. Last five years, first off the claim in dirt routes. Michael Simone is just 13% with an 88 cent ROI. And he took this horse off Claudio Gonzalez. He's bringing him back three weeks later. So, you know, he's a horse who was inside last time out. It's not really the place you want to be at Monmouth, but it's not the most ideal situation for a deep closing type. And I thought there might be some opportunities to look for a little bit of value more towards the outside with the six, seven and eight. And those are the horses I wanted to get started with. Financial strength, tried 12, five claimers, first off a win. And uh, he was inside, chased a hot pace, tired late. Matty Oliver's back on, now gets more of that outside chasing trip that the horse did two back when he was victorious, this horse is obviously no superstar. That's essentially why the previous connections were willing to just basically give him away. I thought the seven I run was interesting for Claudio Gonzalez got into this barn 
raced for 30 and they're just immediately going to the bottom. I mean, they're looking to get a win and ideally a claim as well, just to get away from this thing. But form wise, I mean, it probably fits a lot better at this level. And, um, I think that he'll get a good trip as well, somewhat forwardly placed. And Tiempo Perfecto got involved in a hot pace last time, weakened late, back to 7,500, where really he ran well in June and July. So I think the class relief is going to help a great deal. I love ascending speed figures in a situation like this where you're talking about pretty low-level horses. So 6, 7, and 8 to get it started for me. I wouldn't use the 3 as any more than a backup. Let's talk about race number 7 now. $12,000 claimers on the turf going the sharp 55 Big full field signed on for this one. What's your view? Well, I'll tell you, I spent more time on this race than I like to have and, and watched a number of replays, including the race won by Heels the Soul back on the 30th of July. He had an awfully sweet trip that day. But Carlos David is is uh, one of the best around when it comes to turf sprints. Uh, this son of McLean's music race just off the pace. Got a beautiful run through on the inside under Matty Oliver, who's back on board. I don't think you want to discount the, the possibility that this horse runs right back to that race and performs just as well. And quite honestly, a high 70s buyer speed figure is going to win this race rather handily. I think there's going to be plenty of pace between the three Fox Red and the eight Jet Wings. Uh, both of them seem to have only one way to go. Jet Wings actually has a decent amount of turf pedigree, and I don't want to hold that one bad turf start against him. Given that he got out of the gate poorly and raced awkwardly around the turn, that was back in December of 2021. The horse that I want to make my top pick, so to speak, is the nine Abe Honestly, who ran a hole in the wind two starts back. He got brutalized coming out of the gate and ended up making a really strong late bid to get up for second. Came back and was much more fancied that day going off 7-1 to one, as opposed to the 26-1 to one he had the race before. And I thought ran a credible fourth. Other than Heels the Soul, that was not a race where they really came apart very much. So I wanted to upgrade horses like Tetragrammaton and Abe Honestly, who were trying to make up some amount of ground in there. I'm going to throw a blanket over this one and use a number of horses uh, because I've got a horse in the eighth that I'm going to be pretty bullish about. But yeah, this is going to look a lot like uh, four, or, I'm sorry, three, seven, nine, primarily for me on the uh, top line. Three, seven, nine, but also on the B line, I'll name check the two you mentioned. Who else would you definitely want on those tickets? I'm sorry. I'm still going to be two seven nine on the top line on the bottom uh, part of it for sure. Three six and uh, more than likely, I'd include the ten. Three six and ten. All right, you've tipped your hand that our Monmouth play of the day is coming in race number eight. Who's it going to be? Well, here it is. You know, it's the full brother of Mage Doorknock, who uh, Danny Gargan has said. He's the best horse he ever ruined. I mean, trained, um, which uh, we'll see what ends up happening. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, you know, he this one was highly regarded coming into his debut, went off five to two in, in a loaded looking Jim Dandy day, made in special weight race and, and ran well. You know, yeah. Seize the Gray had a, a race worth of experience on him. And, um, and I thought that this cult, all things considered, ran pretty well. And Global Perspective is coming back in the opener on Friday at Saratoga as an MTO. So we'll see how he performs. This horse really is supposed to stretch out. Kendrick Carmouche is not taking a trip down there to go to Max's Hot Dogs. So I'm, I'm envisioning this horse is going to run very well. And I really think he has only one competitor, and that's noted on the outside. Noted is by Cairo Prince, debuted on turf, stayed on turf, 
Todd Schreinger on dirt here. The dam is a half to both Mark Valeski and Albano, who were stakes winners on the dirt. Mark Valeski, a graded stake winner. But I prefer Doorknock's profile being a horse, I think, that can sit a little bit off of it. And what ends up happening in these races when the two-year-olds stretch out for the first time is you almost always get a frenetic pace. And I think Doorknock being outside, having the ability to sit back and make one run is really going to help him. So he's my bet of the day and my single in the pick five here. Um, I don't think he'll end up the second choice. I think he'll end up a pretty solid favorite. Could be a big day for that damn. Uh, we'll see how it all turns out. Should I list note it as a as a lone backup? You could note it as a lone backup. Yep, it only one all backup. One more, no, two more races to talk about. And next up, we have a $12,000 claimer going a mile on the turf. Once again, big full field. Nice day of racing here at Monmouth. What do you like? So I, I kind of felt like this. there was a horse in here that I – really wanted to embrace and I think he'll be a mid-range type price the nine Olympic romp who's second off a claim by Mike Pino he was entered for turf last time out stayed in and won the race off the turf Mike Pino has bizarrely good numbers dirt to turf 27 percent with a 429 ROI there are a couple of big price winners in there but for the most part he's just been very productive if you dig into this horse's PPs and you go back, you might even remember the damn one in a romp who was a pretty a pretty solid uh, New York uh, turf horse back in the day. This horse broke his maiden on the turf and, and won a one other than it got an 83 buyer speed figure. So he yep. probably should have been on the turf almost all along. So I'm going to give him a big look getting back to the turf. I think the eight Harpoon Harry is the best of the speeds. Um, he said he got involved in a really hot pace last time out before weakening 22 now down to 12, five as Ken Sweezy tries to get him where he can be dangerous from a class perspective. And I don't think they're going to use the same enterprising tactics on Montauk summer that they did last time out. I'm expecting Kendrick to probably rate him a little bit more. I think that's going to put Harpoon Harry on the lead. And I think he gets very dangerous from there. So eight, nine for me, I think you could really run into problems with a lot of backups here. So I'm going to keep it simple and just use the six veterans beach as a backup and try and get through this leg i like it what's your preference between the eight and nine there uh slight preference to the nine slight preference to the nine okay now we head to our nightcap we've got uh, twelve thousand claimers going six on the dirt just a field of seven here when it comes to this late pick five how are we going to get paid I'll tell you, it's a tough end to it. I thought the one sneakiness was as dangerous as anybody. He just doesn't really have much of a, a penchant for winning. Um, as he's gone now uh, 23 straight races in the last couple of years without winning. But he does look like he spotted well. I like that Shamir Mirage took him for eight and is moving him up to 12-5. This barn has a limited sample of horses first off the claim in dirt sprints, but three for nine with a 202 ROI. I thought the two golden spoke on the cutback was interesting coming out of a starter allowance event at Delaware where he endured a wide trip, probably more of an off-the-pace type here with Paco. The three Drina stars, the one to catch, very dangerous on the front end, especially if able to shake loose early, and I don't know how much competition there is on paper. The time from U.S. pace projector has Debo forwardly placed. I think he'd have to be awfully sharp off the layoff to get involved. So I think the winner comes from that group of three on the inside. I'll keep it simple and use those three and hope that we can uh, can get a live headed into this last leg, a one back up on the five Debo, but mainly one, two, three for me to close it out. All right, hoping it's as easy as one, two, three. Nick, thank you for doing double duty on the show. We will be talking soon. Anytime, my friend. Thanks for having me. Today's show also brought to you in part by our friends at Toba. Toba's mission is to improve the economics, integrity, and pleasure of the sport on behalf of thoroughbred owners and breeders. Projects managed by Toba, the Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Federation, include the Claiming Crown, Ownership Seminars, the American Graded Stakes Committee, and 
breeding, confirmation, and pedigree clinics. Toba is involved in media, co-owner of the Blood Horse. They also have a charitable arm you may have heard of, the Thoroughbred Charities of America. To learn more about what's going on with Toba, go to their website, toba.org. <laughs> I had just hit record, but I'll edit it out. Maybe I'll forget to edit it out, and then we'll start with a yawn. <laughs> well, I hope not. Three, two, one. Last but not least, we bring in our man we talk to when it comes to all things Woodbine. A little bit of a calm after the storm, after that great weekend of racing up there last weekend. But there's still some good stuff. We can find some bets on this Woodbine card, and to do it with us, we bring in our man, Drew Cotney. Drew, how are things? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. What a fun weekend last weekend was up north of the border. You and I even ha- haven't even had a chance to catch up on that. No, um, no. So- did you end up making any money? How did uh, how did it how did it go when push came to shove? Yeah, because because you had to hit five minimums before the Kings played, and so my strategy was in the contest push in early. Um, so that I didn't have to get caught up in uh, getting DQ'd with minimums, which actually did happen. Um, someone who won uh, ended up missing their minimums and getting DQ'd out of the prize money. So you obviously get to keep your cash, but yes, uh, didn't hit the minimums. And I was live to starting bankroll 750, live to uh, three horses, four horses for four grand, and um, and just didn't get it done. Um, I think it was a loose leader that ended up getting me. Uh, yeah, I'm remembering it. the race you told me. I think you lost by about a thin lip. Yeah, it was it was no bueno, no bueno at all. Um, so you know it, it happens. That's that's the way this thing goes. But to be in a position where I only need to make one more move really to win the race, and that probably would have been Patches O'Houlihan, the other horse I want to talk about for a second. What a cool horse uh, that is becoming a little bit of the Pink Lloyd uh, and of lure at this point north of the border. So excited for that horse to keep grinding, first time facing elders and got it done and looked all beat. I think you and I texted all but beat at every point, tipping home for the stretch and just kept finding more. So what an awesome job. I think Tiller is the trainer on that one and uh, really exciting to watch. It was so cool. Very, very gutsy performance from Patches O'Houlihan. Well, what project ahead would you have had? You said you were going to make one more move. I assume it was some sort of all-in thing into the Kings plate. Would you have hit it? What what did you think of that result? I wouldn't have hit it. I don't know if I loved Kalik enough. I think I originally was going to do all-in double Salima with, um, I can't remember the other horse's name in that race, into Kalik. Uh, Kalik, but you know, Patches O'Houlihan sat at two to one, five to two. So that looked pretty enticing to me, and that would have called the day, uh, turning four grand into just over 12, which was my target. So, gotcha. when you only have saying. to have one race to win. It's a lot. It, I mean, you got to think about it in those terms. Um, it's only one that needed to win and not two, right? Well, that's smart. I get it. I get it for sure. Well, there's always uh, many more contests coming up. We've been talking about this. One uh, Monmouth, they're they're doing a Travers Day contest you can potentially get involved in. And then we've got from our friends at Kentucky Downs ad I read earlier in the show for their turf handicapping uh, championship, the Interconnected 3 
contest starting on uh, next Thursday. But we're here now to talk about Woodbine, and we're going to look at these last four races on Saturday, starting with race number six, which is a maiden special weight event for Phillies and Mares. As I say maiden special. It's a maiden optional claimer for Phillies and Mares, going seven on the synthetic. Where's your money going to go? I'm going to go with the number four talking wonders at five to two drop in class ran fairly good last time a bit wide than ducked inside, which doesn't come up in the PP notes. So take a look at it. If you're someone who thinks uh, ground loss is a huge uh, factor or conversely saving ground, go, go look and make your own assessment. But I thought it was a good enough run closing well with good interest. And today gets a much easier foes. So should be able to work out a pretty good trip. And I am completely against the number eight Bijou, Bijou Baby at three to one. I'm just really not impressed with that race. Light figures compared to the top choice. It seems to be a bit of a professional hanger. So I'm singling five to two. I, I'm guessing two to one is where the morning or where the the line's going to end up at for the number four talking wonders in here. All right, I, I see where you're coming from. I I like Bijou Baby more than you, but not enough to uh, not enough to commit. I was interested in some of the the trips and some of the late pace that number two Mardine had shown along the way, and now we have this one going third time off a layoff, facing what I would say is probably the weakest group, uh, definitely the weakest group, at least since that, uh, at least since you know a very long time ago. I think Mardine could be seen to better effect. This is one that you know has that professional maiden look, but I worry less about that when they are dropping in class. And, and Mardine made the move into the fast pace last time again, third off the layoff. I thought the two was a little bit interesting, especially if anything like the double digits on the morning line. So that's one to that's one that I'll nominate for use in race yeah. number six. Yeah, um, I love. I, I, I liked Mardine a little bit, um, third off the layoff. Was interesting. It just the figures were light overall. But yeah, I am not against the number two marking one bit at all. Dropping in class can sometimes. I know it's not really supposed to work this way, but facing the weaker field can sometimes give you that little figure boost needed in a spot like this, where there are some professional-looking maiden types signed on in addition to that one. Let's talk about race seven. We've got a starter allowance for fillies and mares, and we're going six on the turf. And I was attracted to the pace angle on number seven, Lantana Lady, this third time starter, won the maiden last time, but I thought might be dangerous right back. As we say sometimes in these starters, the horse that just won uh, can often improve on breeding. I think the extra furlong should be within her grasp. That also makes sense based on the fast pace she set going six first out. And again, this is one that's loose on time form anyway. What do you think of Lantana Lady, and who's your selection in Woodbine 7? Yeah, definitely my backup for the reasons you listed. But I'm going to use on top the number two, we hawk in at 2-1. to one. I think today is going to get a perfect uh, pressing trip on the inside. It has the best overall figures, and I really don't want – and I'm adopting this full-blown, by the way. KK instead of uh, Kazushi Kimura. I like that. Uh, I heard – I, heard, uh, I think it was uh, Jeff say it on, on air – KK. So I'm going to keep going that, but I don't want KK to panic at the top of the stretch, right? Sit behind horses and find your seam and make that one last burst late. Um, the number two, we hawking for me at two to one in Cassie's uh, hands. We trust. And the number seven, uh, Latana lady for everything you said, little concerning, not only is this horse moving an extra panel, but also is going to the outer, which sometimes plays a little differently to speed, 
bit disadvantaged to speed sometimes there and upgrades those who are those closer types like the number two Weehawken. Certainly a long stretch for those closers to get by. But if you give the speed horses enough rope, sometimes it doesn't matter. We'll see how it plays out in race seven as we move on to race eight. $25,000 claimers. We're on the synthetic now going six and a half. And Drew, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I'm going to go with a little bit of a price. The number two commander, Joe, two for three over the distance and surface and had a bit of a wide trouble trip last out. The draw helps inside and needs to stay in touch with the field a bit but overall figures look to fit so i don't want commander joe to be too far back early but the next i mean lenny k at two to one seems to be the next best in this spot most logical really overall best figures and a good closer hasn't had a pace set up in a while um so so at least uses a minimum underneath on all of your tickets if you're a vertical player here um, last out was a bit too wide and too far against the pace flow is what my trip notes say. And then I'm also going to use, because I, I just don't want to get beat by this horse, off of a year layoff, the number seven, Richie's in the house, third off of the layoff, I should say, nine-year-old uh, coming in here, could just be a little bit loose and has that back class. So I do have a note here right before the layoff, uh, rail ride in the front end, fade in the final eighth, and uh, pretty mad, and I think this horse is over the hill, but... This spot fits a lot better. That was a that was a listed stakes race here against Silent Poet and Arzak, who uh, Arzak we saw came back at Saratoga and do some big things. So uh, the number seven Richie's in the house, eight to one. I'm I'm three horses, but I think you can go a lot of directions here. I'm with the favorite in this spot. So, uh, you know, I mean, I don't disagree that uh, beyond the favorite, I feel like I'd want to pull in four or five. But I do think Lenny Kay is worth focusing on. This horse is sharp and in form. I think is meeting a weaker group of $25,000 claimers than he did three weeks ago. And I just like that race on the tape uh, with Mr. Crowley. Showed, you know, some real guts and determination in the lane to 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 get that second place finish and i'm hoping you're right not a ton in the way of setups and not guaranteed a setup here but at the six and a half i I think that's a distance that might work to his advantage even in even pace i think this one will be flying late and i'd like to see be able to get up i wouldn't want anything really less than that two to one of the morning line uh, that ernie perry guesses he'll uh, be but uh, this is a horse that i that i like enough to to put on top and i'll probably maybe i'll let your analysis help me split some of these others and mess around with the two and the seven as well in some exotics but for my notes it's going to be all about the three we close with a two-year-old filly maiden special weight race we're going six and a half got some cool pedigrees in here a couple of first-time starters and some horses with form where Will you be going to try to close everything out of these late picks at Woodbine? Yeah, I'm going to go with the number one, Olivia Rose. Debuted facing against Rhapsody, who came out uh, and tried to run last weekend. Finished a good third, earning a 72 buyer. So that upgrades the form for Olivia Rose. Draws to the inside finally after drawing it on debut an 8 and a 12 post. And today gets on the inside. So I think it's only one way to go for this horse. Send as hard as possible. Get on the lead and carry it on. A little concerning the six and a half. Um, I would like to see six or five and a half in this spot, but I think the price is going to stay at two to one, three to two, and some. I think a reliable horse to lean on. So number one, Olivia Rose. I'm cold single. 
We are in agreement. We are reading from the same prayer book in the end here. And I really wasn't worried about the distance for this one between Silent Name and Malibu Moon on the bottom. I thought she'd be able to carry her speed a little bit uh, a little bit farther, um, though it is interesting on the Time Form U.S., breeding ratings uh, definitely r- rated much better sprinting than than routing for whatever that's worth but the other thing is she has attended two very fast paces i'm hoping you know maybe has figured things out a little bit and can not can run just a little bit more efficiently i mean i, I want her to go i want her to be on the lead but you know, I'd like to see more evenly meted out fractions to hopefully get the job done here in Woodbine's ninth race as we close out this Saturday card. Any closing thoughts from you, Drew, before we get out of here? No, I, I, I'm I excited to watch some Woodbine, uh, some Monmouth, and some Saratoga. I think it's going to be an action-packed day. Saratoga, obviously, with the Traverse, some really fun races. You get to watch uh, New York Thunder Square square against Arabian Lion, and the Traverse is going to be fantastic. Echo Zulu uh, gets to see if she's turned the page. I think it's just there's so many great storylines. So fill in the voids of uh, between post times at Saratoga and Monmouth with some good woodbine action here. I love it. That's a great idea. All right, we're going to get out of here now. We'll thank you, Drew, and today's other guests, who include uh, Nick Tamaro and Jonathan Kinchin. We'll thank some sponsors. One that I want to thank is Adelphi Racing Club. We have Gem Min 10 entered on Sunday. We're stuck on the AEs, but hoping to sneak in. But Adelphi have a ton of action the last week of Saratoga. We'll definitely be doing a special show with them. Always appreciate Matt Kater's insights as a handicapper. And as I've said many times, I just couldn't have had a better experience with the Adelphi Racing Club. Made sure to, to re-up. Uh, my partnership with them for this season, just because I it's it's been such a great experience, such great communication, and not only do we get these great experiences of being an owner at Saratoga, going to see your horses, but also learning even more about handicapping and condition books, and it's something really I just encourage people to check out Adelphi Racing. Dot com for that one. And again, look forward to that special show. We've got great stuff happening on the plus side. Frankly speaking, Frank Scatoni covering Del Mar every day. Nick's notebook. You get some extra tidbits about Saratoga. And we're going to have a special Del Mar Saturday show that uh, Frank and I will be recording in just a little bit, just a couple hours time. You can look, you can look for that in the feed. Baby Talk continues sponsored by our friends at Gainsway. You can look for that in the feed as well. And also make sure, still relevant, even if it's Saturday morning while you listen, Stephen Christ and I going over the two-day pick six, so you get some other thoughts on the pick six races that we went over earlier in the show with Nick and JK. Let's thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing, how great it's been sharing a box, sharing a table with them all meet long. What a great uh, crew of people. Glad to see uh, some representation from the 10 Strike team in town this weekend. The Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, what fun it was the other night at the barbecue, the sold-out barbecue. We raised a ton of money. Perrin got these really cool pictures sitting beside me. I think I showed them on Horseplayer Happy Hour yesterday of Rachel, Alexandra, and Zenyatta. Uh, super duper stuff. Always like to work with the TRF if you want to support their mission. trfinc.org slash players. And again, I found some more whiskey. So if you want to make a $200 donation to trfinc.org slash players, you can get some of our four-year rye. Um, this was a project I was involved in from the start. Finished in the apple brandy barrels. It's delicious, sort of like a cocktail in a bottle, done with Albany Distilling Company. Uh, Get to me up here in Saratoga and I can hand deliver it. Sign the bottle if you want. 
This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is that guy over there, Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your Travers Day photos. <laughs>